Chapter 5 of True Detective Stories from the Archives of the Pinkertons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. True Detective Stories from the Archives of the Pinkertons by Cleveland Moffat. The Destruction of the Renos. The first and probably the most daring band of train robbers that ever operated in the united states was the notorious reno gang an association of desperate outlaws who in the years immediately following the war committed crimes without number in missouri and indiana and for some time terrorized several counties in the region about seymour in the last named state the leaders of this band were four brothers john reno frank reno sim reno and william reno who rivaled one another in a spirit of lawlessness that must have been born in their blood through the union of a hardy swiss emigrant with a woman sprung from the pennsylvania dutch of the six children from this marriage only one escaped the restless law-despising taint that made the others desperate characters the single white sheep being clint reno familiarly known as honest reno and much despised by the rest of the family for his peaceful ways even laura reno the one daughter famed throughout the west for her beauty loved danger and adventure was an expert horsewoman an unerring shot and as quick with her gun as any man laura fairly worshipped her desperado brothers whom she aided in more than one of their criminal undertakings shielding them from justice when hard pressed and swearing to avenge them when retribution overtook them after their days of triumph during the war the renos had become notorious as bounty jumpers and at its close with a fine scorn for the ways of commonplace industry these fierce-hearted dashing young fellows all well-built handsome boys cast about for further means of excitement and opportunities to make an easy living beginning their operations in a small way with housebreaking and store robberies they soon proved themselves so reckless in their daring so fertile in expedients so successful in their coups that they quickly extended their field until in the early part of eighteen sixty six they had placed a wide region under contribution setting all forms of law at defiance john reno and frank reno the elder brothers were at this time the dominating spirits of the band and they soon associated with them several of the most skilful and notorious counterfeiters and safe burglars in the country among these being peter mccartney james and robert rittenhouse george mckay john dean alias california nels and william hopkins the band soon came to be named with the greatest dread and awe good citizens fearing to speak a word of censure lest swift punishment be visited upon them the reno influence made itself felt even in local politics corrupt officials being elected at the instigation of the outlaws so that their conviction became practically impossible the renos toward the end of eighteen sixty six began a series of train robberies which were carried out with such perfection of organization such amazing coolness and such uniform success as to attract national attention the first of these robberies took place on the ohio and mississippi railroad being accomplished by only four men frank and john reno assisted by william sparks and charles gerrell other train robberies followed in quick succession the same methods being used in each with the same immunity from capture 
so that people in this region would say to one another quite as a matter of course the reno boys got away with another train yesterday but while indulging in its own acts of outlawry the reno band strenuously objected to any rivalry or competition on the part of other highwaymen a train robbery was perpetrated on the jefferson railroad early in eighteen sixty seven the renos had no connection with this robbery it was accomplished by two young men named michael collins and walker hammond the two men escaping with six thousand dollars taken from a messenger of the adams express company but their horses had carried them only a short distance from the looted train when they found themselves surrounded by the formidable renos who had quietly watched the robbery from a place of concealment and now unceremoniously relieved the robbers of their plunder not content with this and as if to intimidate others from like trespasses on their preserves the renos used their influence to have their rivals arrested for the crime by which they had profited so little and both were subsequently tried convicted and sentenced to long terms in the indiana penitentiary the renos meantime although they were known to have secured and kept the six thousand dollars were allowed to go unmolested and continued their depredations up to this time the reno gang had confined their operations for the most part to indiana but now they began to make themselves felt in missouri where a number of daring crimes were committed notably the robbing of the country treasurer's safe at gallatin in davis county in this last act john reno was known to have been personally concerned the case was placed in the hands of alan pinkerton taking up the investigation with his accustomed energy mr pinkerton traced john reno back to seymour indiana where the gang was so strongly entrenched in the midst of corrupt officials and an intimidated populace that any plan of open arrest was out of the question recognizing this alan pinkerton had recourse to the cunning of his craft he began by stationing in seymour a trustworthy assistant who was instructed on a given day and at a given hour to decoy john reno to the railroad station on any pretense that might suggest itself then he arranged to have half a dozen missourians the biggest and most powerful fellows he could find led by the sheriff of davis county board an express train on the ohio and mississippi railroad at cincinnati and ride through to seymour arriving there at the time agreed upon with his assistant along with them was to be a constable bearing all the papers necessary to execute a requisition when the train reached seymour there was the usual crowd lounging about the station and in it were john reno and mr pinkerton's lieutenant who had entirely succeeded in his task while reno was staring at the passengers as they left the train he was suddenly surrounded and seized by a dozen strong arms and before his friends could rally to his aid or realize what was happening he was clapped in irons carried aboard the train and soon was rolling away to missouri under arrest reno's friends stoutly contested the case in the missouri courts arguing that the prisoner had been kidnapped and that the law had therefore been violated by his captors the courts decided against them on this point however and john reno with several less important members of the gang was tried and convicted he was sentenced to twenty-five years of hard labor in the missouri penitentiary this was the first break in the ranks of the band the first instance in which they had suffered for their crimes but the bold spirit of the organization was still unbroken three brothers still remained to replace the one who was gone 
and so far from learning caution the band launched forthwith into still more daring and frequent offences trains were held up right and left robberies were committed and early in eighteen sixty eight the gang made a famous raid across the country through indiana and illinois robbing safes in county treasurer's offices in a number of places in several instances some of the members were arrested but they always managed to have the prosecution quashed or in some way to escape conviction in the spring of eighteen sixty eight their operations became so outrageous and the situation so serious that alan pinkerton was again called upon to do something in the cause of public safety in march of this year the safe of the county treasurer at magnolia harrison county iowa was robbed of about fourteen thousand dollars and alan pinkerton detailed his son william a pinkerton and two assistants to run down the burglars arrived at the scene of the robbery the detectives found that the thieves had made their escape on a hand-car and had gone in the direction of council bluffs at this time in council bluffs there was a low saloon kept by a man who had formerly lived in seymour and who was known as a bad character it was decided to keep a sharp watch on this resort mr pinkerton reasoning that since seymour was the friendly refuge of the renos it was altogether likely that the outlaws would have a friend and perhaps an abettor in the saloon-keeper who had once lived there after two days watching the detectives observed a large man of dark complexion enter the saloon and engage in close conversation with the proprietor having with him evidently some mysterious business investigation disclosed this man to be michael rogers a prominent and wealthy citizen of council bluffs and the owner of an extensive property in an adjoining counties puzzled but still persuaded that he had found a clue mr pinkerton put a shadow on rogers and hurried back to magnolia where he learned that on the day preceding the robbery rogers had been seen in magnolia where he had paid his taxes and in doing so had loitered for some time in the treasurer's office this also looked suspicious but on the other hand search as he might the detective could find nothing against rogers's character everyone testifying to his entire respectability still unconvinced mr pinkerton returned to council bluffs where he was informed by the man who had been shadowing rogers that several strange men had been seen to enter rogers house and had not been seen to come out again the watch was continued more closely than ever and after four days of patient waiting rogers accompanied by three strangers was seen to leave the house cautiously and take a westbound train on the pacific railroad one of these men a brawny athletic fellow nearly six feet tall and about twenty-eight years of age mr pinkerton shrewdly suspected was frank reno although he could not be certain never having seen frank reno feeling sure that if his suspicions were correct the man would ultimately return to rogers's house mr pinkerton did not follow them on the train but contented himself with keeping the strictest watch for their return the very next morning the same four men were discovered coming back to the house from the direction of the railroad but at that hour no train was due which was a little curious and another curious point was that they were all covered with mud and bore marks of having been engaged in some severe rough labour the hour was early the dwellers in council bluffs were not yet astir 
A little later the city was thrown into a fever of excitement by the news that the safe of the county treasurer at Glenwood, in Mills County, about 30 miles distant, had been robbed the previous night. No trace had yet been got of the thieves, but everything indicated that they were the same men who had robbed the safe at Magnolia. One remarkable point of similarity in the two cases was the means employed by the robbers in escaping, a handcar having been used also by the Glenwood thieves, and they too were believed to have fled in the direction of Council Bluffs. Investigation soon made this absolutely certain, for the missing handcar was found lying beside the railroad, a short distance from the Council Bluffs station. Putting these new disclosures beside his previous suspicions and discoveries, Mr. Pinkerton was further strengthened in his distrust of the man Rogers, and although the local authorities, to whom he revealed his suspicions, laughed at him, declaring that Rogers was one of the most respectable citizens of the state, he resolved to attempt an arrest. Proceeding to Rogers's house with all the force he could command, he placed a guard at front and rear, and then, with a few attendants, made his way inside. The first person he met was Mr. Rogers himself, who affected to be very indignant at the intrusion. "'Who have you in this house?' asked Mr. Pinkerton. "'Nobody but my family,' answered Mr. Rogers. "'We'll see about that,' answered Mr. Pinkerton, and then, turning to his men, he ordered them to search the premises." They did so, and soon came upon the three strangers, who were taken so completely by surprise that they had made no effort at resistance. They were about to sit down to breakfast, which was spread for them in the kitchen. A comparison with photographs and descriptions left no doubt that one of the three was Frank Reno. A second, a man of dark complexion, tall and well-built, proved to be Albert Perkins, a well-known member of the Reno gang. The third was none other than the notorious Miles Ogle, the youngest member of the band who afterward came to be known as the most expert counterfeiter in the United States. Ogle, at this writing, is in the Ohio Penitentiary, serving his third term of imprisonment. At his last capture there were found in his possession some of the best counterfeit plates ever made. While they were securing the four men, the detectives noticed that smoke was curling out of the kitchen stove accompanied by a sudden blaze. Mr. Pinkerton pulled off a lid and found on the coals several packages of banknotes already on fire. Fortunately, the notes had been so tightly wrapped together that only a few of them were destroyed before the packages were got out. Those that remained were afterward identified as of the money that had been stolen from the Glenwood safe. There was thus no question that these were the robbers so long sought for. A further search of the house brought to light two sets of burglar's tools which served as cumulative evidence. The men were carried to Glenwood by the next train. They were met by a great and excited crowd, and for a time were in danger of lynching. Better counsel prevailed, however, and they were placed in the jail to await trial. With the men in secure, safe custody, there was no doubt of their ultimate conviction, and everyone was breathing easier at the thought that at last the Reno gang was robbed of its terrors. Then, suddenly, no one will ever know how it happened, the prisoners made their escape. Great was the surprise and chagrin of the sheriff of Mills County when, on the morning of April 1, 1868, he entered the jail, only to find their cells empty. A big hole sought through the wall told by what way they had made their exit. 
they left behind the mocking salutation april fool scrawled in chalk over the floors and walls of the jail a large reward was offered for the capture of the robbers but nothing was heard of them until two months later when an express car on the ohio and mississippi railroad was boarded at marshfield indiana by a gang of masked men and robbed of ninety eight thousand dollars the messenger made a brave resistance but could not cope with the robbers who lifted him bodily and hurled him out of the car down a steep embankment while the train was running at high speed all the facts in the case pointed to the reno brothers as the authors of this outrage for by frequent repetition their methods of robbery had become familiar alan pinkerton furthermore obtained precise evidence that it was the work of the renos from secret agents whom he had stationed at seymour to watch the doings of the gang two of these agents engaged apparently in business at seymour one setting up as a saloon keeper in a rough part of the town another taking railroad employment which kept him constantly near the station a third made a wide acquaintance by passing for a gambler and general good fellow so successful were they that alan pinkerton was soon in possession of facts proving not only that the marshfield robbery had been committed by the renos but that another train robbery which followed was executed by john moore charles Gerrell, william sparks and three others all members of the reno organization moore Gerrell, and sparks were arrested shortly after and placed on a train to be taken from seymour to brownstown the county seat but they never reached their destination as the train stopped at a small station some miles from Bounstone, a band of masked men well armed rushed on board overpowered the officers hurried the three outlaws away to a neighboring farmyard and there strung them up to a beech tree while an old german who owned the farm looked on approvingly this was the first act of retributive justice done by the secret vigilance committee of southern indiana an organization as extraordinary as the situation it was created to deal with the entire population of that part of indiana seemed to have risen in self-defense to crush out lawlessness a second act followed several days later when three other men who had been concerned in the latest train robbery having been captured by the county officials were taken from their hands and condemned to the same fate as their companions each one as he was about to be swung off was asked by the maskers if he had anything to say the first two shook their heads sullenly and died without speaking the third standing on a barrel with the rope round his neck looked over the crowd with contemptuous bravado and addressing them as a lot of mosbach hoosiers said he was glad he was not one of their class and was proud to die as a good republican the barrel was kicked away the rope stiffened with his weight and there ended the career of the sixth member of the band hard times followed for the surviving renos realizing that their power was broken they fled in various directions the three brothers frank william and sim though still at large were not left long to enjoy their liberty a large price was placed on their heads and betrayal came quickly william and sim were arrested soon after in indianapolis and turned over to the local authorities who in order to avoid the vigilance committee took the prisoners to new albany in an adjoining county where they were placed in jail the vigilance committee growing stronger and more determined every day now scoured the whole country for other members of the gang or for persons believed to be in sympathy with it 
they literally went on the warpath through this whole region of indiana and it went ill with any poor wretch who incurred their suspicion like the whitecaps of a later day they sent warnings to all who came on their black list and administered by night and sometimes by day such promiscuous floggings and other forms of punishment that the tough and criminal element of the region was entirely cowed and feared to raise a hand in defence of the renos as it had previously done up to the time the vigilance committee was formed not a member of the reno gang had been convicted in that locality largely because the people were afraid to testify against them they knew that if they should testify their stock would be killed their barns burned and they themselves waylaid and beaten this was the reason offered for the formation of the vigilance committee of southern indiana whether a justification or not the committee must certainly be credited with having rid the state of a monstrous evil in the excitement of other events the pinkertons had not forgotten the man who had escaped from the glenwood jail they finally traced miles ogle and albert perkins to indianapolis and there ogle was captured but perkins escaped frank reno was discovered a little later at windsor canada where he was living with charles anderson a professional burglar safe-blower and short-card gambler who had fled to canada to escape prosecution reno operating with anderson made a practice of registering as frank going if the enterprise in which he was engaged was prospering and as frank coming if it was not prospering he and anderson were now arrested on a charge of robbery and of assault with intent to kill in the case of the express messenger hurled from his car at marshville indiana under this form their offence became extraditable and after a long trial before the stipendiary of government magistrate gilbert mcmicken at windsor the men were ordered for extradition aided by the ablest lawyers they carried their case however to the highest court in canada but the decision of the lower court was affirmed and in october eighteen sixty nine the men were surrendered into the hands of alan pinkerton who was delegated by the united states government to receive them it was due to the patience and persistence of mr alfred geither the western manager of the adams express company and his then assistant mr l c weir now president of the company and to the general policy of the company to permit no compromise with thieves that regardless of cost and time the prosecution was continued until it issued thus successfully michael rogers was also discovered to be in windsor at this time and he was known to have had a hand in the marshfield robbery but he escaped arrest and remained securely in windsor for a year or two later though he reached the penitentiary being brought to grief by a burglary done at tolono illinois on coming out he joined the notorious mccartney gang of counterfeiters and had many narrow escapes the last known of him grown an old man he was living quietly on a farm in texas made at last secure of reno and anderson alan pinkerton chartered a tug to carry them to cleveland and thus avoid the friends who as he had reason to know were waiting across the river in detroit to effect a rescue when the tug had gone about twenty miles it was run down by a large steamer and sunk the passengers including the prisoners being saved from drowning with the greatest difficulty the prisoners were carried on to cleveland by another boat and from there were hurried on by rail to new albany where they were placed in jail along with sim and william reno 
The final passage in the history of the Reno gang occurred about a month later, in the latter part of November 1868, when one day a passenger car was dropped off at Seymour, Indiana, some distance from the station. There was nothing remarkable in this, nor did the car attract any attention. That night a train passing through Seymour took up the car and drew it away. A few people about the station, when the car was taken up, remembered afterward that this car was filled with strange-looking men who wore scotch caps and black cloth masks, and seemed to be under the command of a tall, dark-haired man, addressed by everyone as number one. Although there were at least fifty of these men, it is a remarkable fact, developed in a subsequent investigation, that the conductor of the train could remember nothing about the incident, declaring that he did not enter the car and knew nothing of it being attached to his train. It is certain the company of masked men did everything in their power to avoid attention, scarcely speaking to one another during the ride and making all their movements as noiseless as possible. The train reached New Albany at two o'clock in the morning. The car was detached and was presently emptied of its fifty men as silently and mysteriously as it had been filled. A few hurried commands were given by number one, and then the company marched in quiet order to the jail. Arrived there, they summoned the jailer to open the doors, but were met with a firm refusal and the shining barrel of a revolver. There followed an exchange of shots, in which the sheriff received a ball in the arm, and two local police officers were captured. Without loss of time, the jail doors were battered down, the company entered, and taking the three Reno brothers and their friend Charles Anderson from their cells, placed nooses that they had ready around the men's necks and hung them to the rafters in the corridors of the jail. Then, having locked the doors of the jail, leaving the prisoners secure, they made their way silently back to the New Albany station, reaching there in time to catch the train that drew out at 3.30 a.m., the same special car in which they had come was coupled to this train and dropped off at the switch when seymour was reached this was just before daybreak on a dreary november morning who these fifty men were was never discovered although because of the fact that reno and anderson had been extradited from great britain the general government made an investigation it was rumoured however and generally understood that the company included some of the most prominent people in seymour among others a number of railroad and express employees it was found that at the time of the lynching all the telegraph wires leading from new albany had been cut so that it was noon of the following day before the country learned of it the newspapers described the leader of the party as a man of unusual stature who wore a handsome diamond ring on the little finger of his right hand later some significance was attached to the fact that a well-known railroad official who answered this description as to the stature and who had always worn a handsome diamond ring previous to the lynching ceased to wear his ring for several years afterward after the execution of her brothers it was rumored that laura reno had taken an oath to devote the rest of her life to avenging them and for a moment there were threats and mutterings of reprisals from allies or surviving members of the gang but these latter were not heard again after a certain morning the third day after the execution when the people of seymour on leaving their homes were startled to see on the walls and in other public places large posters proclaiming that if any property was injured or destroyed or any persons molested or assaulted 
or if there was any further talk in regard to recent happenings some twenty-five persons therein frankly named who were known to be sympathizers with the renos or to be more or less intimately connected with them had better beware and as for the sister's deadly oath she did no act in proof of the violent intentions imputed to her but instead subsequently became the wife of a respectable man and settled down to a useful life though a much more commonplace one than she had previously known john reno after serving fifteen years in the missouri penitentiary was released and is said to be at present living on the old farm clint reno or honest reno always stayed at the old homestead and has never been willing to speak of his brothers or of what happened to them seymour purged of the evil influences that corrupted it has grown into a thriving and beautiful little city and is today one of the model towns of indiana End of the destruction of the renos